When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the Luminaries with David Odyssey. Welcome to the 100th episode celebration, Can You Believe It? This time I've decided to turn the crystal ball inward and I've welcomed master astrologer Mercedes Kilmer to read my astrology. This is a totally trippy one. Through my chart, I learned so much about the signs, human consciousness, everything. So I recommend you kick back and enjoy. Thanks for being here. Moi. Okay, uh, before we jump in, I just wanted to say a few things. Um, For this 100th episode milestone, uh, I'm doing a two-part celebration. This episode is part one with Mercedes Kilmer. She is uh, a friend and um, a really tapped in, really well-studied and very lyrically versed astrologer. Um, We explore my chart, but really, I mean, I was just listening to it while I was cooking and it's really Mercedes kind of poetically expounding on the meanings of these archetypes and on new ways of thinking about astrology and consciousness with my chart as a jumping off point. So I kind of, it's like, just kind of take in what you want to take in. It's really... It really rocked my world, and it's changed the way I think about a lot of this stuff. Um, And then part two is just a a culmination conversation with uh, frequent guest and collaborator Kiko Soiree. Uh, That'll be out tomorrow. And the pod, I think, is taking a Sagittarius season hiatus. We will be back in better than ever come Capricorn season. Uh, I'm just going to be in Tel Aviv, and I think it might be a little tricky to record, so... I just want to say, like, the the podcast has changed so much uh, over the last two years and 100 episodes, and it's changed incarnation and form, and it's going to continue to do that. Um, in 2022, my plan is to have weekly episodes again, um, and, and I have help doing that, which I'm really grateful for, and... I'm, I'm just excited to see it kind of go bigger and evolve. And I just want to say, like, the podcast, especially over the last year, has brought so many special people to me and all these interesting conversations and people who I've gotten to work with professionally and get to know. And um, I just want to say I'm, I'm so grateful for it. And it's not something that I ever, ever expected. Um, so... Thank you for being on the ride, and I promise, like, we're just getting rolling. So, with that said, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mercedes Kilmer. See you on the other side, and happy Thanksgiving. One way to describe astrology is sort of the structuring effects of cyclical time. And what does that mean? It means that there's all of these time cycles, and those cycles have uh, an ability to structure what materially comes to pass. Like if you think of, for example, like 
an oak tree in the forest is actually structured by massive cycles of time, like geotectonic cycles, meteorological cycles, mm. all of those things come together and fit in together into this sort of clock that eventually a seed drops at a certain time. And because it's in a certain terrain, because of the geotectonic cycles, it has it grows into a certain way, et cetera, et cetera. And it's all structured by time. And so the similarly with the birth chart is like the seed of your life. And that seed contains within it this sort of DNA structure that's going to evolve into many different manifestations. So throughout your life, you will be like a sprout in the darkness when you're a baby, when you're actually not really inhabiting the public world. You're beneath that horizon that we see in the chart. Um, it will also, you know, when you're a baby, you don't have a partner, but you have an, an area of the, you still have the same chart, you have an area. So at different times, the diff different transits will activate certain areas of the life that will trigger the expression of certain areas in the chart. Mm -hmm. Likewise, the chart itself, there's another way to sort of measure the passage of time, which is to do timing techniques, which is the study of the chart in reference to itself and of like the movements that the chart, as the chart grows. But anyway, we're, today we're gonna look at your, your transits for what's happening now. But um, this is just to say that we can think of this image as a very complex clock face. And just like we can look at my clock on my phone that I'm holding in my hand, which says 1016 on Tuesday, November 16th, Los Angeles, California, we can infer from that, that it's not too hot yet. I'm a little bit sleepy. It's the morning. I've been awake for a few hours, but it's still the first half of the day. Um, we can infer that I'm not hungry because I probably had breakfast already. There's a lot that we can actually understand. It's mid-November, so it's chilly, but it's LA, so it's warm. We can infer there's a lot that is going on. We can even talk about like, oh, it's mid-November. I'm probably been partying a lot because it's in between my birthday and Thanksgiving. Like we have, there's so much from just looking at the time and place that we can infer. So that's like the birth chart is a very, very complex clock face. And instead of having two hands, it has like 20 hands. And this is what we're doing when we study the birth chart. So forgive the long intro, but I want everyone to understand like, what are we even attempting here? <laughs> so we're telling the time of, of your life. So at the moment of your birth, what was the horizon was located at 21 degrees of Aquarius. And this forms in the chart, in the Hellenistic chart, the first house in all charts, but I use what's called the Hellenistic chart, which uses a, a a symmetrical house system, which we don't really need to get into. But so this is dawn. This marks the dawn. And symbolically, dawn is associated with beginnings. So this is the beginning. And the beginnings is associated with, this is the first breath of life. This is where we incarnate into the body. So for that takes the significations of your body and your basic motivation. And the ancient Greeks called this the helm of the chart because it's from here that all of the other signs are calibrated and houses. Mm. Directly opposite the dawn, astronomically, is sunset. So here's sunset. And that in the chart, if you look directly opposite where the rising sign is, it's called 
where the ascendant is, is called the descendant. This is where we see the other. And right at 90 degrees from the dawn and the sunset is 12 noon and midnight. So we form another axis that goes across the chart and that is 12 a.m. I mean, p.m., 12 noon and 12 a.m. Oh my God. At the bottom of the chart. So this is the midnight down the bottom and this is the noon right up at the top. And so for you, David, you have what's called the midheaven, that 12 noon point is located in Sagittarius and you have the imam coli or the bottom of the night in Gemini in the fifth house. And we'll, we're gonna talk about this more in a second, but this is the basic framework of the chart is anchored by these four points. And in modern times, we call this the subconscious and the superconscious in psychological language, or um, we also can look, there's many different things that these two points can represent. In the ancient times, they would look at 12 noon as the place where the sun is directly shining down on you, representing the light of God, where we're most like directly poised to, to receive the light of God. If you think of like a flower bends to the point where it receives the most nourishment from the sun, and then its roots grow directly downward from there. So we have the flowering of the superconscious up the top of the chart where the 12 noon is, and we have the deepening of the roots and the growth beneath in the subconscious at midnight in where the chart, astronomically midnight. So we're gonna talk, the reason why I spend so much time on it, uh, laying out, down this framework is because you have in your transit a lot of activity going down uh, at the top and the bottom of the chart right now. Anyway, um, so right now what's going on is the, the top of the chart, there's tons of, you have Scorpio in the 10th house, tons of activity in Scorpio right now. And then you also have this really powerful Uranus conjoining Mercury in the fourth house. Conjunction. So just to like lay that out, um, at the time of this reading, it is Scorpio season. So we have all these planets moving through Scorpio. I have Scorpio at the top of my house at that kind of super conscious point. Um, and then from, and you know, Mercedes can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think uh, from let's say 2018 through 2025, Uranus is in Taurus. So that's like a long, long, long transit. Um, and as we've established, Taurus is at that base, at that uh, subconscious point in my chart. Uranus takes 84 years to make each cycle. Um, so it goes through all 12 signs every 84 years. So if you divide that by 12, it's seven years in each sign. And Uranus, without getting too much into it, Uranus was discovered in 1778, I think, um, around the time of the American and French revolutions. It's associated with because it, it holds within it that DNA of its birth, you know, of its the time, the timing that it's structured by. Um, it is, you know, characteristic of re revolution, rebellion, radicalism. Mm. It's also, for many thousands of years, there were seven traditional planets and Saturn was the outermost limitation of the entire system. So it's a total rethinking of a system and a possibility of, of new structures. So Uranus represents radicalism, um, simply put. And in Taurus, 
Taurus is traditionalism, authenticity, stubbornness, slowness, also productivity, fecundity, fertility, um, things relating to the, the natural abundance of the earth. And um, so though it's kind of Uranus and Taurus is describing like, there's a lot of manifestation to this one. We have like um, this, we talked about this this summer, but like the alt-right where there's like things that are historically really traditional are becoming radical or mm. vice versa. There is like, the, like, you know, there's shouldn't really be like, let me think of how to phrase this, but like, being conservative is not historically radical. Right. <laughs> so we also have other, uh, uh, you know, like I'm, again, I'm from Los Angeles. There's a lot of like back to the earth stuff going on where, where the most traditional and like almost like oppressive structures are now becoming the, the signs of like radicalism. Like people are like churning their own butter. Um, and, you know, low tech, this is like the emergence of what's going to mm. be like this real, real like vanguard of low tech coming to happen in the next 10 years. Um, we also, this came up in a reading I did the other day, there, I think is also the beginnings of this sort of resurgence of native rights movement. We have at the, in the summertime where we had Saturn squaring Uranus, Uranus and Taurus, we have all of these stories in the news coming out about residential schools and mass grave sites being uncovered. And we have a lot of like momentum behind the native rights reparations movement and the in sort of radicalization of traditional cultures. And um, anyway, so, so yeah. Um, but and you made a great point to me this, this summer about how, um, you know, as abortion rights are getting attacked um, there, you know, you foresee a resurgence of, um, more traditional and ancient practices regarding birth control. I mean, because, you know, yeah, it, it's yeah. Also that that radicalism of like, we're actually not, we're going to completely break away from structures. We're not going to ask the medical system for permission anymore to have access to birth control. We're, I'm going to throw pansy in the garden. Yes, yes. And that's something that's like super traditional, but it's actually also really progressive and radical. Yes. Uh, that's a perfect example of that. Um, but so for you, you have this exactly happening on your Mercury. So Mercury, again, is our capacity for thinking, is our capacity for speech, writing, publishing. Um, so for you, that really, you're like tapped in to this sort of progressive, uh, you're also obviously technology. Um, you it shows that that's going to be deeply connected with your writing. And then you also have Mercury currently at the same time transiting your 10th house of career. So, it, it, and then, the, you know, so it's taking with it those significations of, of, of your natal Mercury. And so your it means that your career is going to be really tapped into like current events um, and to like this biggest current event like that's really going on, which is this Uranus aspects that you're making right now so this is a really good time for your career um i wrote down a ton about this um where where to even begin you have juno well so let me first say when i look at transits and 
there is a hierarchy of transits. There are certain transits are more, certain types of transits are more powerful than others. Conjunction is the most powerful because it's the most immediate mm -hmm. when the planets, one planet, the transiting planet conjoins the other planet. And those are um, effects that we feel personally. One planet is like defenseless against the other planet and it's like an immediate integration. There's no mediation. They're happening in the same house. So we have to first look at when we're assessing the transits, where are the conjunctions? And I do aspects within one degree orb. Because if you think of like, you think of your natal mercury as a socket and the Uranus that's transiting is like the plug that goes into the socket. The light is not on if it's like right next to it. Mm. Even if it's touching it. It's gotta be one degree, it's gotta be on the degree. Or like if you think of like laser hitting a mirror and creating like a shape, it only works if it's exactly. So I don't do, some astrologers will be like, it's within five degrees. That doesn't matter because the light is not turned on unless it's on. Um, but it's, you can say it's approaching and get ready for it. You know what I mean? But this means it's going on right now. Um, and also you have, so we look at, I'm only looking at the most exact aspects because that's enough. That's like, there's so, there's so much we can say just about those. So the two exact aspects that we have, I encircled them in the image are in the fourth house at the bottom of the chart in the area of the subconscious, Mercury conjoined by Uranus. In the top of the chart in your area of career. So this is also your area of home because your subconscious kind of, if, if we're lucky and we don't have a lot of difficult aspects or difficult suffering in our lives, um, if we're lucky, most of our, homes will sort of over time reflect our, our subconscious, what we, our deepest subconscious need. So fourth house also represents your home and the roots for lineage and the ancient times of the actual lineage, the father, the mother is the 10th house of parent that socializes the child. Also because the child is represented by the first house, what's, what substantiates the home, the, the um, resources of the home is the child in the ancient times, LOL. Um, and the 10th house is the sixth house from the fifth house and the sixth house represents health. So that's the health of the baby is the mother. Um, wow. But, but anyway, um, so, wow. so yeah, back to your transit. Sorry. Um, no, thank you. <laughs> wow. Um, the, we have Juno, the asteroid Juno in your 10th house, which you have located at 17 degrees of Scorpio is going to be conjoined by Mercury at 17 degrees of Scorpio. And that's happening today. And that's a, that's a fast aspect that Mercury is a fast moving planet, the messenger God. So that's happening right now. Um, and whereas this, this Taurus transit is a little bit more long lasting, but the Mercury conjoining uh, the Juno is significant. Juno, it deals with relations in marriage. Juno was Zeus's wife and she was jealous. And Juno deals with the, specifically like the issues of fairness in marriage. Yeah. Um, and you, you, uh, where did it go? So the, the fairness and partnership and the capacity for a committed relationship. Um, this is very intense having Juno and Scorpio. This can be like having, you know, especially conjoined by Pluto. This can show also transformative partnership that in, uh, that somehow your, uh, your partnerships are going to be transformative, especially with this opposition to your fourth house, transforming like older traditions of the family. 
Um, mm. but somehow is a new, new, you also have Venus and Aries, which is Aries is like the, the first sign, quote unquote, is the beginning, the ram in medical astrology, the head where we come out of the womb is the beginning of a new cycle. So with Venus in the, at two degrees in the early, early Aries, that also shows, um, a couple of things because the third house represents community. It shows a new, new cycle of community that is outside of this mother land moon in the ninth house of a foreign country, Israel. I saw you are born in Tel Aviv. That's opposite mm -hmm. that. So that is um, when we have oppositions, it deals with like yourself and others. So this is you and this is like your, your love and also creative capacity, also community. This shows you like establishing a community that is like beginning a new cycle from this, um, specifically mm -hmm. mother and also foreign countries relating to the mother. Um, but that's echoed by this Juno conjoined by Pluto up here in your natal 10th house. But right now, when we have Mercury transiting the Juno, that's going to give a lot of mental thought to the idea of fairness and partnership. Because it's in the 10th house, it can also describe like business partners. And this idea of sort of fairness and of, of like a more higher, um, higher octave of Venus. It's not just about connections it's about like the more like cerebral con contractual connections like marriage that's why that's why it represents marriage i you mean know? this is really interesting because i guess i feel like i'm at a point where i am needing to i can't really be doing everything on my own at this point i'm really needing collaborators and even just like asking people to be on my show or asking people to produce or that sort of thing it brings up a lot of ideas about me having to go it alone or me not wanting to impose on anyone or someone being too successful or above me that I can't ask to work or collaborate with them. And I feel like I'm immediately um, coming up on these like illusions of, of a power hierarchy at which I'm at the bottom and having to reconcile with the idea of like equitable partnerships. Um, which for some reason is very frightening for me. Totally. You also have the moon in the Aries in your third house of community. And that's going to, the moon is our psychosomatic intelligence. And that's an Aries. So that'll be like this tension between like the community and your individuality and like mm. having a lot of like feelings about that that are about to go it's going as soon as it goes the moon in a couple of days is going to go into taurus and the fourth house the moon is really more it's exalted in taurus it's going to be um more comfortable there um mm. in that will sort of might, might like alleviate a bit but the moon in aries is going to be like where am i fitting because the moon the moon like wants to be like taking care of and to nurture and take care of others. The moon represents right. the mother in the chart. Um, not just your mother, but one mothering. Because if you think mm. about it, the moon is satellite of Earth. And in the, the ancients believed that the moon would receive all of the rays of all the other planets and then filter them and give them to us on Earth based on its moon phase and its relationship with Earth. Just the way that the baby is at home on Earth um and the the natal chart is a geocentric model so it's about it's our how we perceive the universe at the center of the universe on earth um and so the baby is at home and the, the quality and the type of mother that you have 
is going to filter out what information, what kind of foods get to you, what languages get to you. It's going to, the moon is, is, is the mother of earth. Um, and so in the chart that represents our, how we're being nurtured by the environment. And right now you're being nurtured by the environment. It's in the house of community, but then it's in the sign of Aries. So it's like, are you being nurtured by your individualism of Aries or by the community? And that could be like confusing. And Extremely. then when it goes into Taurus, it's going to be a lot more comfortable and it's going to be in the sign of home, which is where the mother mm. likes to be. <laughs> um, Amazing. Thank you. Okay. But so back to like our most significant transits are um, this Uranus conjoining the Mercury here, which we talked about. And that, that is at a square exactly, almost exactly to, mm. but because it's retrograde, it's what's called applying. When a transit is applying, it means it's moving towards an aspect. And when it's separating, it means it's moving away from the aspect. Just like in life, when we're like running towards <laughs> the bus, we have a lot more momentum to get on the bus versus when we're getting off at our stop, you know, we're like maybe walking slower. Um, so that's like an applying conjunction is a lot stronger of an aspect, even though if it's on the other side, it's still one degree away from making that aspect. It's like, doesn't have as much desire to make it, it doesn't have as much momentum. But so, yeah. sorry, just to get clear on that. So when I was born, Mercury was in retrograde and it was um, close to conjunct with my son, but moving backwards theoretically, okay. and it was squaring my ascendant. Yes. Great. And so it's moving towards your ascendant. Mm. Your ascendant is at 11 degrees. The mercury is at 12 degrees. So it's one degree past that, but because it's retrograde, it's going back towards 11. Mm. So that's got, it's got more momentum towards your not your ascendant, your north node in the first house next to the ascendant. But yeah, same same thing, really, the first house. So that's just a, that's a technical thing, but it is important to to sort of understand like where why why we'll feel transits more than others. Mm -hmm. um, so right now your the transiting Uranus is conjoining your mercury in your fourth house in Taurus and this is applying both in retrograde is moving towards your north node and the south node the nodes are the poles of the moon it's not super important what they are astronomically but they're not planets they're sensitive points in the chart and they represent where plane the orbit of the moon intersects the solar system's orbit or the orbit of the sun, but also the, of all the planets. Um, and where these, where these orbits collide are the north and south nodes. In Western astrology, we think of the north, you know, we have a more, more like phallic linear consciousness um, in the West. And it, it, the north node is conceived of like penetrating destiny. Um, mm. But in the, in Vedic astrology, the North Node is conceived of as a sort of passive receptive point. And there's this image, and I'm gonna draw this and please forgive me for this drawing. Um, and luckily our listeners won't have to see this. <laughs> David, I will illustrate this in the drawing for you. We think of where the North Node is, 
as the head of a serpent or a dragon. And here I draw the tail and fins of the dragon. Um, the, the North node is the head of the dragon and the dragon represents your soul. The dragon represents this intersection between the life force, the father consciousness, the sun, the mind of God, and the moon, which is the psychosomatic consciousness, the mother, divine mother, the body of God. Um, and the, the nodes represent this intersection of those two energies and this sort of where those things kind of find their North star, so to speak. And um, so the head of the serpent at the North node is where you're receiving divine inspiration from. And the serpent is feeding from this point. And he's going, just like any being, he's going to be like sniffing out where to go and what to literally do with his life based on where he's going to get the divine inspiration and nourishment from. So this point, the North Node, is like where it eats from. And this is what it eats and how it eats and where it eats. And then, as you can imagine, the South Node directly opposite that. And this is where there's a lot of like beautiful consonant imagery with the medicine and traditional medical systems because directly opposite that along this axis we have the opposite the other portal in the body this is where the dragon excretes information from the south node and this is what it leaves behind and this is like the trail that it leaves behind and also where it needs to release things and if the dragon of your soul isn't eating and releasing it's going to be, if it's doing, if it's imbalanced, it's going to be sad um, and it's going to be sick. So it's important to have a balance between the North and South node. In Western astrology, I think we overemphasize like pursuing your, your evolutionary dharma is like the, the North node and karma is the South node. The South mm -hmm. node is like what comes easily to us in life. That's what we inherit in life. That's what lot we're given. But the North Node is our Dharma. That's what our our task is. What what our God given purpose is. And in Western astrology, we overemphasize that. But it's really important to have a balance between the two. Um, you can also say that the North Node is like the left hand. It's the hand that we need to learn how to use, which is also the meridian that goes to the heart. The left hand is like where we feel from, and the right hand is what comes easily to us. That's what we need to let go of our grasp on the, our, the ego grasp of the right hand. Um, so what does this all mean? These are traits that you want to the North node traits that you want to like restore and repair and to evolve towards, to, to drink from like the dragon, to receive the South node is traits that you want to preserve and conserve, but not really hold too tight a grasp on. These are the things that come easily to you in life. And if you hold too tight a grasp, you'll be constipated. And also that the ego it's like over attachment to like what we inherit and not lacking like curiosity and moving towards the future. For you, you have the North node in Aquarius and the South node in Leo. And you also have the North node in the first house. And so this is very interesting um, because Aquarius is, there's a lot we can say about Aquarius. Aquarius is represented in the zodiac as the image of the water bearer, like a guy holding a pitcher of water. Aquarius relates to the infrastructure of consciousness. So for you with the North Node in Aquarius, you can say that your dharma, your God-given purpose, your, you know, 
fountain that the serpent is eating, drinking divine inspiration from is going to relate to in some way infrastructuring consciousness. And it's perfect that you do astrology because astrology, what is it but the infrastructure of consciousness? Um, and it all, conversely, opposite that, Leo is the ego consciousness. Is the which is good. I, I think ego has a bad rap because of Freud. Um, but the you know that's the performer. That is something that comes really naturally to you. You are so charismatic and great performer and speaker and, and you know that's the, that's what you it's the things that come naturally to you so moving into this aquarian territory of like actually structuring what is unseen while having a balance of releasing and expressing and yourself and leaving behind this evidence of like expressing yourself to others seven thousand leo is going to be this ax nodal axis that characterizes your life that's uh i've never heard it explained that way and like i i feel like once a week i'll have a moment where i'm like maybe i should just throw it all away and go to rabbinical school because that like i do want to be seen and i do want to perform but i only feel like i can do it when i have like a lens or a structure and astrology and tarot is the first time in my life where i've kind of felt like I had that. I mean, I actually had that when I've had magazine jobs because it was like, you are writing a certain kind of article about a certain kind of person in a certain kind of way. And then I felt like I could go off. I, I do feel like it's hard for me to just be like a an open vessel. I need some sort of like a discourse to go through. Um, so this really is amazing to, to think about. Totally, um, especially right now you have Saturn transiting that area for a long time. Um, so that'll really give you like deep structuring in, in this a couple of years. But sorry, my, I'm laughing my cat just leaped. <laughs> anyway, um, so so yeah, Aquarius, this is really cool. And and we should spend some time on Aquarius because it relates to, it, it's located at a 90 degree angle to the two big transits that are happening to you. And so this is a very powerful double square that's going on. Um, and Aquarius, like we said, is the symbolized by the water bearer. And it's one of the most actually difficult to grasp signs and by design, because all the other signs are like a crab, a lion, a scorpion. It's simple things that don't have a really conceptual function. Although they do, you can conceptualize a scorpion, which we will, we're about to do. But <laughs> the, the water bearer is a concept. It's not an animal. Um, so it's quite, it, it's a really like requires a lot of intelligence to even comprehend what Aquarius even is. And that gives you a lot of clues about the energy of Aquarius is that it's like far out. It's difficult to comprehend. It requires mental infrastructure to negotiate with. Um, I love that you're saying that because like I was talking with my editor at Nylon because I'm writing the piece on Sag and right now I'm like Sag is really easy to write about because you have like Brittany, Christina, Nicki Minaj, Miley Cyrus with Aquarius even like thinking about Aquarius like celebrities it's like 
okay, Oprah, Kelly Rowland, Alejandro Hodorowsky. Like, it's already so, um, it, it's just not meant to be categorized. Like, you can't lump it very easily. Absolutely. And that's like, that's like what I have learned, I think, in astrology. It's like, sometimes when I don't understand something, that's what it is. Is it hard to understand? Right. It doesn't want to be understood yeah, linearly. Okay. So listen to your intuition because like that's actually the nature of Aquarius is difficult to understand because it's the outer mode. It's the last sign or it's the second to last sign. It's not the unifying universal consciousness of the actual last sign. It's like the far out sign. But mm. so Saturn rules Aquarius and Capricorn. And we talked about, when we talked about Uranus, we talked about Saturn, we mentioned Saturn, because for many thousands of years, Saturn was the outermost planet. And that represented and literally described limitations of what we could conceive as humans on Earth about what, about our, about really God, about what was beyond us. Saturn represented the absolute limitations that we were able to comprehend. Then in 1778, I want to say, or four, um, we have Uranus and we have this new, it's like the enlightenment. We have a new religious consciousness, but for thousands of years, Saturn was the limit and Saturn represents the edge and the borders, but a border implies something beyond it, which is beautiful. But so Saturn rules Aquarius and Capricorn and when could you imagine, if you didn't know anything about astrology, if Saturn rules the end and the edge, what type, what time of year would that be associated with? Right. It would be like the end, the, the death. End here, yeah. yeah. But also because it deals with the border, which is on has two sides. It's the end of the year and the beginning of the year. It's also the coldest time because it's when the earth is the furthest from the sun. It's when we're the furthest away from God is like actually the closest to God at the same time, because it's like when our faith is tested, which is so beautiful, like literally. Wow. Um, wow. And, so, and also that's why in Judeo-Christian thinking, that's why, or like in Christianity, the birth of Christ is at the at Christmas time at the end of the year, because that's the darkest time of year. That's when like the seed of the Christ God is sown in the soil, the dark time where we have to have faith. And that's when faith is, is born at the darkest part of the year. And that's Capricorn. And so Capricorn represents the, the, the energy of the beginning of winter, which is like, you know, Capricorn is like a fearful, pessimistic, depressing <laughs> energy yeah. that I have. I have five foot as a Capricorn. Um, the, <laughs> yeah, Capricorn um, is that time where pessimism pays off because it keeps us alive. And if we didn't have that, we got to have, everyone's got to have a little one twelfth, a little bit of Capricorn in them, or we would just die because you have to have caution and fear. And, um, Capricorn is that energy of like, do we have enough pans to last us? It's an earth sign. It's the time where material reverence for material craftsmanship becomes really significant and becomes a matter of survival. It's like, you've got to have a well-made jacket if you're out in the cold. 
um, in Europe. I mean, Australia, God knows what they're on in Australia. Um, but yeah, this is, a, you know, this was sort of constituted in you know, the Northern hemisphere, this system. But um, you can also call it summer. A rose by any other name that's not a sweet. Anyway, um, so Capricorn is the beginning of winter where we're like fearful of will we make it. Aquarius, your rising sign, is the beginning of a new year. If Capricorn represents the architecture of the material world and literal architecture having a sturdy house that withstands the winter, Aquarius represents the architecture of possibility and the architecture of the mind. Well, where we make our New Year's resolutions and we become the architect of, of the future, of possibility, of things that are not tangible. Wow. So it's a different kind of architecture. And that's what you have characterizing both your North Node and your Ascendant. So this is perfect for an astrologer. Wow. Okay. It's also perfect. Aquarius deals with this uncharted territory of the mind. And this is, you know, Capricorn, think of what's the most stable shape is a pyramid. Liter like in geometry. Um, it, Capricorn deals with social hierarchy because it's a pyramid shape. It's the most stable, like, sorry, everyone, but that is actually the most stable, <laughs> stable kind of society. And Aquarius deals with uh, unilateral society. It deals with uh, societies that are maybe not stable in the traditional sense of a hierarchy where there's like a king on top and like whatever trickle down economics. But this, uh, the Aquarius is like unilateral communication is the infrastructure of consciousness where everyone can communicate with each other. And so when we have Saturn moving into Aquarius this over the course of this decade, we're gonna have a lot of like internet and a lot of like horizontal communication and a, a restructuring of that traditional society or traditional hierarchical society. But for you, so you know, Saturn loves architecture and, and restriction and deprivation and um, limitations and borders. So he builds a wall between his two signs. And um, Capricorn is everything that's in the traditional world, um, the traditional hierarchy. And then all of the rejects that don't fit <laughs> go into Aquarius. And so this, this also echoes a that Venus and Aries opposite the moon in the ninth house. is echoes like you being in some way like um, an, a non-traditional person in, in in reference to whichever traditions like you quote unquote come from um this this represents a progressive thinking and because it's in the first house a literal like body like the issues relating to the body like you 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 can use your whatever this means to you your body and your consciousness are kind of you are embodied as a progressive pers person in the world wow. um, and but then you also have, yeah, the, the Capricorn you have in your 12th house, um, which is your unconscious. So, <laughs> but you have, but you have Saturn ruling the first house from the 12th house. So you have an access point in yourself and then your, your unconscious. Oh, I mean, I hadn't thought of it that way. That's really interesting.
but yeah, the 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 Aquarius you have Jupiter in has just passed over your ascendant, which can give you like some optimism in the past year yes. about yourself and your infrastructuring of consciousness. And then that is ruled by Saturn, which is in also in Aquarius right now. And it's this is again really powerful for everybody destroying the old ways of thinking. Yeah, it's, you know, something that I think has been coming up for me a lot is um, I think a lot of the Aquarius rising can lead into sometimes um, like a false outsider complex where it's like there are times where I actually am being accepted, but in my head I have to like always skew to the narrative of being an outsider and sometimes like reality gets a little bit warped in that regard and the other thing with that is that i keep coming up on this point of like well what am i supposed to do where am i supposed to fit in and i keep trying to remind myself like the technology or the platform or the stage may not even exist yet. I may have to like really think ahead rather than keep trying to envisioning what box I should be fitting myself into. Totally. I think that could also come from, cause it's not, cause Aquarius rising could also be like, I'm the leader of the commune and I'm belong. I've never belonged anywhere more. Like it could be, it could be, it doesn't necessarily have to feel like an outsider, but what that could be from as well is that the first house being ruled by Saturn in the 12th house. Because like in the beginning, we talked about this axis of the ascendant opposite the descendant and then the, the MC opposite the IC, which is the noon opposite midnight and the dawn opposite the sunset. These four points where the sun makes its station throughout the day are the places of the chart that directly relate to us. And if you imagine mm. like you're at an intersection driving, again, so many driving metaphors, I'm from LA again, sorry. Um, sue me. The, uh, <laughs> this is like when you're at an intersection driving in your car, you can see what's directly in front of you and what's directly to the right and the left. But where you cannot see is the 12th house right behind your shoulder. Yeah. It's right, what's right behind the ascendant. And so the ruler ruling the 12th house will give you a lot of impetus to actually deal with and to, with the Saturn, it will give you a lot of impetus to structure your relationship between your consciousness and unconsciousness. Um, but it's also gonna give you like, a, that's gonna happen because it doesn't naturally occur because it's in mm. the blind spot. So you will see, and that's like, I mean, the chart, you have to be a little creative, I think, with the chart, because like I said before, when things don't communicate in the chart, it's often where we see people become really known for that because mm -hmm. it's not naturally occurring from the birth chart. So for you, having this lack of communication and this blind spot of the ruler to the ascendant, is it really going to give make it like your life goal to figure out what the hell is going on in the unconscious? <laughs> Um, it doesn't describe a person that has no knowledge of their unconscious. Um, it describes a search for knowledge. Um, again, especially you have the moon in, in the ninth house. And the ninth house is our um, search for meaning. It's the, the house, the ninth and third axis here. Uh, the axis, all of the signs are like opposite. All the houses are opposite 
each other in the chart. So if we look at like, if you guys that are listening, think of a clock face with the 12 numbers on it. Um, the three o'clock is opposite nine o'clock. And so the third house is opposite the ninth house. And this axis is like this tunnel. This deals with learning and the knowledge. And there's two ways that we can learn, let's say. We learn from our community that we're given and what, what is around us as a kid, like what language we hear is the language we think in um, or languages in maybe your case, which I want to ask you about. Um, and the we also learn there's another kind of knowledge, which is the knowledge that we seek out, that we choose. So often the knowledge that we're given in our immediate environment that will inform the kind of what we either don't learn or what we learn a little bit of and we get a taste and like or whatever that will inspire us that will kind of have this in of effect on the knowledge that we seek out so this the third house represents short-term travel because travel is where we get knowledge from it represents our community like the bodega guy our siblings, our experience of fraternity, if we don't have birth siblings. Um, and the ninth house represents long-term travel, like once in a lifetime pilgrimage kind of travel, foreign travel. Mm. Um, for you, because you have the moon in the ninth house, this also uh, indicates like foreign mother, this indicates being nurtured by foreign travel and nurtured by higher, under, higher knowledge abstractly. Um, mm. In Libra, you could have I don't know if your mom is like a, a harmonious <laughs> or like, you know, like a characteristic of Venus, um, like a pleasant, whatever, like loving, I don't know, um, <laughs> person. But um, yeah, so the third and the ninth house axis is like very prominent in your chart. Um, and this, wow. your search for meaning is going to, relate to social engagement and religious the ninth house also deals with like formal religion 12th house is like direct experience of god this is like prisons and uh hospitals <laughs> where we're like where they mean it as as they say um this is like this <laughs> um and uh this is like mediated form structures of religion, uh, formal formal spirituality. So you're real, you're interestingly again for like a public astrologer like yourself, because not all astrologers do what you do and what you do so well, which is like engage the public and, and integrate issues of that Libran superficiality. It sounds like a bad word. No, it's it's pop like pop, pop. basically. Yeah. yeah, visual. What's on the surface. Yeah. For you, you have your search for meaning moving through that landscape of surface beauty and of surface images and, and like pop, pop culture. And so this is really beautiful. You have a, elsewhere in the chart a lot of like indication of, of like um, spirituality and stuff. But then this moon in the ninth house in Libra really brings it back into like the material or not material like not material like craftsmanship, but back into the like pop world. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And this is something I've been struggling a lot, which is like, if I'm discovering this new calling with this sort of work, 
why do I still read The Hollywood Reporter every morning? Like, what is wrong with me? And this is helping me understand, like, one may be a filter for another, uh, rather than them being two divergent pathways or something. Totally. And, and you know, like, that's what's beautiful about the natal chart. And, and that's, like, what we've talked about before. Like, sometimes if things don't make sense, that's what it's telling you. Um, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Uh, right. Right. And it can be that there are there are kind of the possibility of two divergent pathways, but they both are coexisting. And so perhaps something to do with your life experience is holding those at the same time and doing both mm. of them um, and or, or into learning to integrate them because they are in some ways at odds. And then in other ways, like there is represented here this like beautiful synthesis of those those two concepts. You also have, like we mm. said before, the sun represents the vital life force energy. The moon is the body that receives that life force and actualizes it in the world. And the, the way that the moon and the sun are positioned is seen astronomically as a moon phase. When they're at a quarter position, 90 degrees from each other, there we, we see it's a crescent moon. Or when they're conjunct, conjunct, it's a new moon. Mm. Uh, when the when they're in the dark, and for you, you have what's called a gibbous moon. So for those of us that can't see this, I will describe it. David's sun, <laughs> your sun is down here at four degrees of Taurus, and if the moon were right opposite, it would be a full moon right? The sun and moon are directly opposite. And the light of the sun is being completely 100% received by 100% of the face of the moon. That's a full moon, sun and moon opposition. When they're at a quarter, that's a, a full waxing crescent moon. What you have is in between a quarter moon, crescent moon, and a full moon you have your moon is approaching becoming full. So if we think of the new moon, like we talked about Christ being the new moon is when the seed of consciousness is like implanted in the soil, in the dark soil, the dark dead of winter at the beginning of the life of God. Um, the, the new moon is that energy of, of like conception and, uh, as it grows, think of like a seed growing, it's gonna grow in the soil, it's gonna incubate and germinate in the soil, it's gonna peak out at a quarter moon, it's like a young fragile sprout that needs like help from the world. Then as it grows and becomes a full moon is when it reaches its fullest expression. And it's like the full beauty of the flower and the like potential is being been realized of that flower. For you, you have a gibbous moon. So you have maybe with, within your psychosomatic intelligence in the ninth house, in your area of like spiritual thinking and higher education, you have perhaps an anxious sense of like being about to uncover something all the time. That's like the energy of the gibbous moon. It's like this, like it's a coming to fruition. So there's this real like longing and like eagerness to to flower in the area of like spirituality but then it's like in the territory of libra which is like fashion and like pop culture and yeah. and social social 
communication, social, like networking and social harmony. So it's going to be this, this like nascent religious consciousness, like this bud that's like striving to open, but it, that's where it's going to open up is at the same time in the Libra area and in the ninth house. Cause you have Libra ninth house. I love, you know, everything you're saying is uh, obviously rocking my world, but you know, we left Israel when I was a baby and whenever I've gone back and lived there, it's like time catches up and I'm like finally breathing the air I was meant to breathe. And it like in a really profound way is home. And I kind of always go there to like rediscover some deeper truth and it's paradise and it's deeply complicated place. It's extremely fucked up. There's a lot of um, contradiction fed into like its existence and like my relationship with God, Judaism, and Israel through the lens of my own family history itself is so complicated. So it always feels like this, I don't know, For it's just like an interesting prism to think about it as like this quest for belonging, closure, and resonance that always feels imminent and has these moments of like breakthrough, but then can never fully be attained or resolved because it's based on like a nationhood a religion and birth circumstances that are by definition like meant to be questioned argued and complicated so i love what you just said and that's kind of how i'm feeling it totally that's also like the mercury in mercury retrograde in taurus is like it's literally paperwork um I, like Mercury and, and and that's in like the fourth house you also have this fifth house you have your actual IC the actual point of the midnight is in the fifth house in Gemini and so that's two homes wherever we see Gemini I also I have a Gemini fourth house um so interestingly like your chart it your chart in Placidus is like all the same houses as my chart and house. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, which is these for our listeners, two different house systems, but they describe the same thing. Um, mm. Just like a language. There's two different words for table in French and English, whatever. Mm. Anyway, the, um, but you having Mercury ruling your IC, wherever we have Gemini is the twins in medical astrology is the two arms, the splitting. Um, that's going to give you two homes. And I have Gemini fourth house, my IC in, in Gemini. I have two parents from two different countries who lived in divorce, two different houses. I've got one Gemini brother. So it's always it's like where we have, you've got two, two homelands. Yes. And they're that kind of quest, that Mercury in the Taurus, this quest to authenticate that, that is like, never ending that's really connected to the self-identity because it's literally conjunct with the sun is this quest to understand and to like almost intellectualize and, and authenticate because Taurus deals with authentication and substantiation and like the the true nature of things that's just like a ne never ending like source of your intelligence and that's that's going to like inform your writing and how you mm. communicate how you express yourself Mm. Wow. Taurus is like think so you know there's three earth signs there are Taurus Virgo and Capricorn 
And there are, in the zodiac, there's different kinds of signs, um, the different modalities. So there are fixed signs, mutable signs, and cardinal signs. Cardinal signs describe the signs that are at the beginning of seasons, like cardinal earth sign is at the beginning of a season. It initiates the season. Fixed signs are when they're in the middle. So cardinal earth, Capricorn, beginning of winter. Middle of the season is Taurus, fixed earth. It's like, it's May. And the weather is going to be pretty much the same the whole time. December is going to be like this volatile, it's like bringing on the winter. Yeah. Taurus is like, it's pretty consistent. It's fixed, fixed earth. Virgo is mutable. That's at the end of the season. That's when they mutate. So Virgo will be volatile, but in a different way, because it's a changing over of the season. Yeah. It's back to school season. Back to school season. Right. Um, exactly. And so Taurus is like, you know, plopping down a piece of clay on the table. That's like, you're just dealing with this meditation on the raw materials and the the beauty of what earth gives us in its raw state mm. and it's really heavy and it's bulky it doesn't it's like honestly intimidating you like i do i even want to like begin this sculpture because it's just beautiful as it is and, right. <laughs> and um it's really heavy and virgo is like stripping away the clay and using your critical thinking and getting rid of what doesn't need to be there to reveal a beautiful sculpture and in medical astrology, Virgo is the sixth sign. It's the sixth meridian of the body. And it um, deals with the stomach intestine. It deals with breaking stuff down, excreting the nutrients, and getting rid of what doesn't need to be there. Mm. Um, and Capricorn is the cardinal earth. That's like the first earth sign is like arriving to the quarry with snacks and sunscreen and comfortable shoes to extract the, to, to map out the area to eventually extract the clay in the first place. So this is really long-term, pessimistic, like daunting undertaking. Yeah. Anyway, so Taurus, you have that sun in, the, in fixed earth of Taurus really wants to express itself from an authentic raw place. Then with the Mercury here too, there's a lot of uh, intelligence towards that and, and an intelligence toward expressing like the fundamentals of what the unconscious or the sub of, of your subconscious. And then this is ruling the fifth house. The fifth house is the area of creativity. For you, it's your IC where you have your homeland roots. So it's going to really want to, cre to creatively engage, to authenticate the roots through like cr creative expression, um, which is perfect for what you do. And yeah, it's a fifth house can also be like our pleasure and sexuality and, uh, you know, seventh house is like sex after marriage. This is before marriage. This is like fun sex in the fifth house. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is like pleasure. Um, and yeah, so this can be our creative work that is like, you know, it's the, it's the second house of the fourth house. So this is like the, the, the home and the fifth house is like what substantiates the home, like the children. But it can also be like the other things we create in life besides children. I do feel like, you know, just talking about the Taurus um, raw clay thing and talking about that Mercury ruling my fifth house of sexuality, I do feel like 
I'm I know that like I'm actively going through a death and a rebirth right now and I just have this feeling of like a new body is being kind of reconstituted and right now I'm in this moment of deciding like what do I want or how do I want it to feel but there is this sense of like attaining embodiment that I feel like is actively happening like as like right now um that's very intense and and powerful and i'm excited for it yeah that is like the uranus in taurus too this seven years is going to be really powerful because taurus is dealing with like yeah like the fertility and like as an earth sign things that are the material body um yeah. it is with food and like because it's like the fertility of the earth and the nourishment of the earth and so it deals with like how your body literally is like growing yeah um, and which is beautiful and then it's ruled by venus in the third house and aries so, so you, that's happening because of your asserting yourself aries in your community by making connections for you having the venus in um Venus and Aries in, uh, in the third house, but just Venus and Aries in general is really beautiful because Aries is a sign of individualism and asserting yourself mm. and, um, you know, almost like it's ruled by Mars dealing with like severing connections from people. But then you, it's like have Venus in the third house. Venus in the third house is about making connections with community. So for you, the more you make connections, the more you assert yourself. The more you assert yourself, you do that by making connections in the community. So that's a really like lovely way it fits together for you. And then that I, that's lovely. Yeah. That's lovely. Lovely. <laughs> um, well, okay. Speaking of Mars, let's like, I don't know how much time we have, but let's, um, the, we've got to talk about Scorpio. How are you okay. doing with the Scorpio season? How is it manifesting for you? This has been a time of, uh, I, you know, I really feel as though my body is is finished. Like I really am, um, I really feel like I'm in a Benjamin Button scenario right now. I, everything is kind of in some state of shutdown. And I know that that's like preparing for, a new vessel, which I'm okay with. With that, there is a sense of some, there is, I've gotten a lot of closure this Scorpio season, and there's a huge sense of um, a lot of these kind of um, dangerous explosive cycles may be coming to a bit of a close. And I am also being brought back to a lot of my, you know, I'm almost at a year in recovery, and I am dealing with these very primal, core issues which may never change in life they're probably always going to be here and just having to face them beautiful well <laughs> you do have what's what's happening so sixth house is our health um and our habits and because our habits create our health and like i said you know, the signs don't exactly correspond with the houses, but there is like, as you know, from the tarot, like significance to the numbers. And uh, the sixth, the stomach is how we receive health, you know? Um, and the, so the sixth area of the body is kind of what regulates our health. 
Um, and also our habits because our habits form our health. Six has like physical health, health has is mental health. Um, you have, so you have a couple things and like, we don't have to get too much into detail with it, but the, you have Chiron in the 12th house. Uh, I mean, Chiron in the sixth house at 12 degrees of cancer, loosely opposite to Neptune in the 12th house. So Neptune escapism, alcohol. Neptune was discovered in 1884, the beginnings of the pharmacological industry of photography, um, of like gas warfare, of dissolving the borders of mass transit, of um, theosophism, spiritualism, uh, alternative religions, magic. Um, not like ma magic has been obviously you know, around forever, but, but I mean like sort of like Houdini, like fake magic, um, illu illusory magic, um, that's Neptune. And so uh, in the sixth house, this shows, having this opposition shows that your mental and physical health is really connected. Yeah. And um, that's true for everyone, but yours is, is, is prominently so. And wherever we have planets, it's going to show like where the action is in the chart there you have Jupiter, the biggest planet in the solar system, the planet deals with expansion, abundance, optimism, wisdom, also excess. Um, and oh, like it, unregulated excess. Um, so that's interesting because you have Jupiter loosely conjunct Chiron in the sixth house. Chiron is an asteroid that it shows like woundedness, but also healing. So what you have at the same, you have, and like I said, the, the, everything evolves in reference to itself in the chart and, and the planets, what we get in the birth chart, grow and evolve and, and find, evolve towards the highest expression of themselves throughout our lifetime. You have at certain times in life, what this can signify is like excess and like wounding your health in the sixth house, but it, it also shows the potential of a deep wisdom and ability to teach from that exact same point, which is like very powerful. And it makes sense like with this transits of your Saturn, which was last year going through your 12th house of mental health, restructuring your mental health opposite this healing and wisdom in the sixth house of physical health, that last year, it makes perfect sense like just from looking at, at this, that you would be at your exactly like year in recovery. So wild. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's in cancer too, which is like, that's a card, another cardinal sign. So initiating that's uh, when we have, where we have the cardinal sign is where we're going to show like where we have initiated stuff. And for you, that's like initiating healing and wisdom in the area of health um, and nurturing that cancer. So this is so beautiful also. Um, Cancer, the crab, this, which is this gooey thing that is inside of a hard shell, deals with home. Also that cardinal waters, like those first waters, like the waters of the womb that we want to keep pure and protected. And you don't want to do like sports and smoke cigarettes when you're pregnant. Um, also deals with like the first waters of like a wellspring in the town where we want to keep, build a, <laughs> build a wall, um, build a wall around it. And, <laughs> I feel like you can't say that. Um, the and um, keep it pure and keep it protected. And so, cancer deals with where we have, uh, where we want to actually put up the walls of the home 
so that we can nurture what is inside of it um, and to, to protect and keep it pure. So it also deals with an area that's very sensitive. Um, in medical language, uh, traditional Western medicine and medical astrology, which is traditional Western medicine, uh, the cancer, the fourth sign, four walls make a home, number four. Um, <laughs> the cross, which in every religion, the cross represents like the uh, intersection between the divine and the material. The cross is the home and at the center is where we are. Um, the four, four walls of the rib cage is the home of the heart. And that's cancer, which is what keeps the heart pure. Um, so for you, this is, can be your energy that, that you approach your physical health with, which is very, very connected with your mental health with that Neptune with this sort of escapism of the Neptune and the 12th house and the mental, mental health. And then Uranus too, which is like just crazy radicalism. Um, but also like real progress, literal progress and revolutionizing. So it shows like when that Uranus gets activated, that Uranus conjunct loosely Neptune, you're, you're gonna radicalize your mental health. Um, in your life and revolutionize your approach to that, which is going to really express itself in your physical health too. So congrats. <laughs> it's interesting because I think of that Jupiter and that Neptune, that Jupiter to me and the Neptune both are always like going to these extremes and these apogees. And I, I was an exercise addict and also i'm addicted to like fictional realities like i just had a talk with my therapist that i'm not allowed to see dune a third time because i'll i literally like will go into another world and i think i'm i'm having right now to push both into the center a little bit which is like just occupying my body and like being in my mind and not going into these altered ideas of like well i could have a better body and then i'll have a a, a I'll be myself or I can go into an alternate reality and then I can be myself. I'm trying to like recenter them. So I feel like having these two planets at opposite ends, it's like we we're just like shifting them in a little bit to heal. Wow. That's so, that's so fascinating. Um, with the Capricorn, Neptune and Capricorn. I mean, our whole generation has Neptune and Capricorn and this is going to, be but this is at a different place in the chart for everybody and it's aspected differently for everybody for you you have neptune and capricorn neptune and, and uranus conjunct each other in capricorn in the 12th house and uh, that the, the unconscious mental health um yeah. and so like we said capricorn is like laying down the foundation and also mapping the territory and that is literally like unconscious illusory worlds in the yeah. area terrain of it. And and then, but this shows like a real ability to envision those things too, which is like obviously also a really like incredible, powerful strength. <sighs> okay. I love that. And like, yeah, just not knowledge of that area. Um <laughs> yeah. So so wait, wait, back to Scorpio and like Yes, yes. The um so yeah, how is this manifesting for you? I know we're coming up on the eclipse. I feel like um, 
I just feel like I'm being really faced with with death and with the death of I, I really got clear over the last month like with my trauma history I really a part of me really did die and an old life did die and an old you know the possibility of a life going a certain way did die and that's a huge part of recovery is being like you know you're never going to get that fantasy of a normal life which is very also very buffy um and right now i'm like okay if i'm to accept that now what so i really do feel like i am in in the scorpionic um underworld and i'm kind of awaiting instruction about like when it's time for me to return to the surface then what what am i supposed to do what is what is calling me there you know well the answer is sagittarius 11th house all of this is moving into your 11th house of the wider public and Sagittarius of like consolidation and optimism, open-mindedness, expansion, um, wisdom, your natal Jupiter, nurturing your health in by expanding into the public. Um, the great for a career, what's coming up for you? Scorpio. So, you know, for everyone listening, we, the, the sun, not just our natal sun, the, the, the big one, the sun is in, in Scorpio right now. And so as the sun moves through all the 12 signs, it focuses its, its life force on one every, roughly every month. This is where we get 12 months with roughly 30 days comes from astrology because there are 12 signs of each has 30 degrees and the each degree is correspondent with one solar day which is something we can get into another time <laughs> um but so the scorpio for everybody right now there's a lot of focus on the themes of scorpio and mm. scorpio i was born in new mexico where we have a lot of scorpions and something that i have observed about them is when you're walking along a trail and you suspect that there could be a scorpion, it makes you look at every single leaf and twig with like such focused clarity because you're like scared of getting stung. And you think of how, you know, these tiny poisonous animals like scorpion perform a really vital sacred function in nature, which is to bring, give us consciousness, to allow us to exercise our own consciousness. It doesn't force it upon us, but it actually encourages people to develop this deep and clear focus. Um, and think about mm -hmm. how we would just disrespect nature and how we would just like tramp around if we weren't afraid of being stung by anything. So that little bit of trepidation really allows us to accelerate and focus our consciousness. And that is the energy of the scorpion. Aries and Scorpio are both ruled by the planet Mars traditionally. And Mars is the god of war. So they're, uh, they're in both is a type of strategy of conflict. And conflict is going to become important in this time of year. And this is the time where there's like, you know, conflict, it's like the, the two halves of the year meet. Again, in the medical astrology, the Scorpio is like the genitals where we 
can connect with another person, literally penetrate the wow. borders of what someone else. Well, and and opposite that Taurus in the mouth too. Um, right. And the two portals of, of the body um, are the tenth, or you know the the eighth. You know, I love what you're saying because I think of Scorpio and Sag as like an acid trip you know scorpio to me is the first part of the acid trip of like oh god oh god i'm so aware i'm so aware this is so like it's too much and then sag is kind of after that where you're like oh i'm so aware look the trees are beautiful like look how beautiful the world is i can see everything but i think they're kind of both sides of that coin of like everything is is revealed to me um and that's either overwhelming and terrifying or like beautiful yeah, that is totally like um, the Scorpio consciousness. If you think of like Aries, like I said, this is the ram. This is the first sign. This is where we come out of the womb. This is yeah. so, honestly so beautiful. The, so, you know, Mars deals with sex um, and lust, desire. It's like the actions that we take because we desire something, right? Um, which is like beautiful con that conversely is also like war and shows you really like everything is like about love. But anyway, so the, <laughs> the you know, Aries is where we come out of the womb. The head, the when you're born, is like represents like the pushing out of someone else and asserting that your individual self severance, breaking away from the past. Um, and this is where you go into the womb back. This is when you grow up and then you're like, actually, I want to go back there. I want to like fuck someone and like feel like I'm inside of the womb again or, or whatever inside someone else's body. You know what I mean? It can be in even figurative. Um, this is like that higher conscious of like, I'm an adult and I want to actually relive this experience, these like things that happened as a baby with my like deeper consciousness. I'm like, this is a desire to like, you know, understand the subconscious. It's that border. If you think of like, like again, medical terms, the first half of the year, we have Aries through Libra, the kidneys. Um, and, and then at Scorpio, we like zoom out and you see, you know, the person like, at, I'm standing up for our listeners. You see where the person is, you see the person in society. So yeah, Scorpio is the entrance into the other portal. Um, and this is like Aries is like the general or any Aries is like a soldier charging into battle, like an individual that maybe like kills one person and has his face in the front on the paper. Scorpio is like a general behind a desk that is like calling all the shots that we don't necessarily see outside of this fixed closed system of the military. Mm. That, but that is actually having a really big impact. So the lesson for all of us for the Scorpio time is like, where can we be that scorpion bringer of consciousness for people? And where can we have a really big effect with like a little bit of exertion or with, with a strategic exertion versus Aries is like, where do we have a small effect with like blind, non-strategic, like brute force? <laughs> Um, and both are important at different times in life. But so where this Scorpio strategic penetrative consciousness is going to happen is like where in which house it falls. And for you, that's in your career. 
So right now, roughly the month of November, you're going to be really having a lot of strategy and a lot of thought going around, like how to proceed with the career. But then next month, it's going to be like, okay, it's, it's happening now in the public. Right now it's like the prep. Okay, great. Thank you for saying that. That's reassuring. <laughs> yeah. So we are out, but any, we're almost out of time. What are some last thoughts or questions or something? Yeah, I guess I just kind of want to wrap up like the Uranus in Taurus kind of saga of as it's hitting my Mercury and my sun, because I know that this is kind of a, this is a once in a lifetime thing and all Taurians are going through this. Um, and for me, I know it'll probably hit my son. It, not probably, it will hit my son next year. Um, is there anything else you just want me to be keeping in mind? Keep in mind that it's not just hitting the sun, it's opposing your Pluto, which yes. is insane. And like, so like we said, there within the hierarchy of transits, there's like conjunctions or will be the most immediately personally felt. And then there's oppositions. So the conjunctions are zero degrees, oppositions are when they're 180 degrees opposite each other. This is like where, oh, what did I write down? Where we, we manifest the theme of like me and others, where we're, something happens that's like maybe uh, contrary, contrary to our will and we have to integrate that. So for you, when you have this Uranus, that's not just happening in your fourth house on your Mercury and Sun, your, which represent your capacity for self-expression and speech and thought, huge, huge stuff. Um, <laughs> that's happening opposite your house of career. Right. So there's gonna be a lot of like integrating radical new, con- paradoxically, rattle, radical new, traditions <laughs> yeah. yeah that then, that yeah yeah developing a strategic consciousness in the career like towards integrating radical new fundamentals it's like the uranus and taurus it's like yeah radical traditions i i mean thank yeah because i really feel wary right now of like declaring what I do or even what my brand is because there is this part of me that's like the next year everything could get reworked changed I could be in a totally different um framework and I'm just like I kind of the dust is like far 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 from settled I feel like if I if I know my astrology yeah and then with all the Scorpio transits too you're going to be really feeling this, this Mars, like I said, severance, um, conflict, but also desire. And wherever Mars like passes over, it's like sparks and uncovers and brings forth what our desires are. And that's at 11 degrees, that's applying to your Mercury too. So you're kind of like severing with old thought traditions. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but, but also like, really like getting tapping into like what what your desires are for your career specifically um I, okay i this but is gonna be okay um i feel like i want to 
I want you to like host a retreat that I can go to so that I can just hear you speak for like three days straight. Um, I'm like, this is beyond anything. There's so much to think about. So where can people, um, if oh, people were interested yeah. in, in working with you? DM me on my Instagram, which is okay. And yeah, get a reading from me. <laughs> yeah, because this is so next level um, and so tapped in. So, okay. Um, Mercedes, really, thank you. I think I may appear kind of melted and brain dead right now. I think it's because I'm like really processing everything you just said and processing like what I've just learned about astrology from you because I have to teach a course tonight and I literally have to, what you just said, I'm now integrating because you've just kind of totally um, shifted my, my, my domain of, of, of knowledge. So thank you so thank much. Thank you for this. so much. This is such an honor. I I'm honestly like, it's such an honor. Congrats on a hundred episodes. Thank you. So well, ladies and gentlemen, that was the one and only Mercedes Kilmer, who you can reach out to at Mercedes Kilmer on Instagram. As for me, I've been David Odyssey. You know where to find me, davidodyssey.com, david underscore odyssey on Instagram. I offer private readings, group courses, all sorts of goodies. I will see you next time. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Mwah.